0: You're listening to a message from Victory Church of the Bay Area. For more information, please visit us on our website at victoryus.org. We are in the middle of our series entitled Kingdom Ways, and in this series, we are looking at the teaching of Jesus Christ in Matthew 6 on um, acts of righteousness, and there are people out there who don't know God who perform these acts of righteousness, but they're Doing it from, um, you know, out of wrong reasons and from wrong motives. and But God wants us to perform our acts of righteousness in a way that it would matter, okay? Not that we would gain grace or merit his, His salvation or whatnot, but He wants us to fully enjoy relationship with Him as we do these things, okay? So that we will glorify Him and reveal Him to the world and not just do those things, for our selfish gain. Okay, so we are in um, Matthew chapter six, and if you would open your Bibles to Matthew six, and I'd like to request everybody please stand to your feet, and we'd like to read from Matthew six, verses five through thirteen. I'm reading from uh, the English Standard Version, Matthew six five through thirteen. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in and at the street corners what you need before you ask him pray then like this our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil heavenly father we thank you for this wonderful privilege of prayer Lord, that we get to be with you, be in your presence, spend time with you, communicate with you, speak to you, and that we would also hear you speak to us. Lord, I pray that that we would not settle for just empty forms of righteous acts that are brought about by religious traditions, but Lord, I pray that we would be able to tap in to the power source, that, that that power would flow through the form of our righteous acts, especially this act of prayer, Lord, I pray that your life would flow through us, that we would see prayer not as a burden, not as a duty, but as a privilege. Thank you for this time, and we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our soul and to our spirits, that we may live according to your word. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may all take your seats. You know, our goal in the series is for, you know, for us to... Grow in our walk with God and also for us to be able to grow in our righteousness that we may perform these righteous acts for the right reason and to glorify God. The book of Matthew was written primarily to Jews. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples of Jesus and he wrote this book of Matthew to a Jewish audience. And so that's why, if, as you look at the, the book of Matthew, it has a lot of references to Old Testament. Uh, scriptures and old Jewish nuances in their culture, because it's primarily written for a Jewish audience. Now, here in in our text, Jesus was speaking to a sea of people. Now, that's figuratively, of course. But this was taken from what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is found in in the book of Matthew in chapters 5, 6, and 7. Two years ago, we started our journey with, with the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we looked at the Beatitudes, or, you know, just the blessedness of living in the kingdom. And then we looked at those eight Beatitudes two years ago. And last year, we looked at the rest of Matthew chapter 5. And in this series, which is the third part of our Sermon on the Mount series, we're looking at the first part of, of Matthew chapter 6. Okay. And next year, we're going to look at the second half of Matthew 6. And then the year after that, we will be looking at Matthew 7. Okay. So the Sermon on the Mount is is a long discourse of Jesus on several topics. And many people believe, um, hold to the idea that this was a compilation of different sermons of Jesus at different places, but basically to put them all together for his audience, Matthew compiled all these and put them as the Sermon on the Mount. But other scholars believe otherwise that it was indeed an actual sermon Jesus preached Uh, before people. So people came up to him in the mountain, and he was there speaking to them, okay? And this was a long, basically a sermon on the kingdom of God. It's life in the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, the blessedness of living in the kingdom. The, The Sermon on the Mount is supposed to teach believers, okay, disciples, on how to live the high standard of God's kingdom, not according to their own strength, but by the grace of God. Okay, so the audience of Jesus in this sermon were some of his disciples, aside from the twelve, the disciples and future disciples, okay, those who were checking him out, but they were open to the message of Jesus. And this message of the Sermon on the Mount actually applies to us as well as believers. Okay, are are you a disciple of Christ? Then what Jesus is saying here applies to you and I. Now, last week we looked at uh, one of the ways, one of the ways of the kingdom, and that is giving to the needy that we are to give to God according to the spirit of generosity that is given us and that is with the motivation to honor him and not to honor ourselves. Today we're looking at we are looking at uh, the second act of righteousness that Jesus spoke about in this text and that is prayer and he referred to prayer being done in secret. Okay? Not that he was saying that any public prayer was not supposed to be done. He he did not abolish that. But he was going against the common practice by people who did not know god those who had a form of righteousness but actually were not tapped into god's righteousness so they had prayer and a practice of prayer that god was not hearing okay they were not god was not hearing their prayers so and jesus was saying don't don't do your prayers out in the public for people to see you do it in secret and that's why prayer is Done in secret, and I entitled this message, prayer, the secret place. It is a place where we develop our intimate relationship with God, okay, and intimacy with the Lord through prayer. How many of you are enjoying relationship with your spouse or with people or with your friends? Do you enjoy having friends? How many of you enjoy your relationships with people? How are those relationships kept um, fresh or, you know, kept... Maintained? Or how is it getting better? It is through communication, right? And that's what prayer is. Prayer is communication. Prayer is communication with God. And it is an important part of the believer's life. Prayer is. And there are many um, Christian authors and thinkers all throughout history who spoke the necessity and of the importance of prayer. Okay? And let's look at a few of them. Uh, Philip Mellington, a German theologian during the time of a contemporary of Martin Luther, he was alive during the Protestant Reformation, and he said this, The greatest tragedy in life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Okay? Stormy Martin, a more contemporary Christian thinker, she authored several books about prayer, The Power of a Praying Wife, The Power of a Praying Husband, The Power of a Praying Parent, The Power of a Praying Church, The Power of a Praying Nation. You know, and all different books on prayer, and he said this, prayerless lives are powerless lives. Some of you already know this. Okay? As some of you have heard these sayings before. Martin Luther, the, um, the accidental reformist, whom God used to spark the Protestant Reformation, said this about prayer. The less I pray, the harder it gets for me. And the, the, the more I pray, the better it goes. And uh, Cecil B. DeMille, a very established American filmmaker, who directed the Ten Commandments? How many of you have seen that old Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston. He was a filmmaker and he said this I have found the greatest power in the world is the power of prayer. Okay, so prayer is important and uh, it is widely acknowledged and widely uh, practiced all over the world, even by non Christians. Every religion in the world has a form of prayer or a prayer devotion, uh, you know, devotional kind of life. And most of the, these forms are ritualistic, basically. And they are more concerned with going about the externals rather than the internals. But there, you know, are there prayers that God does not hear? And Jesus inferred to that in the text that we read that there are kinds of prayers that God does not hear. Even if you offer those prayers, God won't hear those. And there are those kinds of prayers that God will hear and listen to. Okay? How do you know if your prayers are being heard by God? Actually, he hears everyone's prayers. He just doesn't answer everyone because there are prayers that he does not answer. And we will see why. And we want to know how, you know, what the right type of prayer that we can do, that we can have. And, and we want to have prayer, a prayer life that God accepts. And so the question I want to ask is this, how can we develop a lifestyle of prayer that pleases God? How can we develop that? How many of you want this? You want to develop a prayer life. Somebody once said, uh, you will know the state of your soul and of your relationship with God by virtue of your prayer life, if it is existent or non-existent. Somebody else once said, Praying man stops sinning, but a sinning man stops praying. Okay, so prayer is important and it's a broad topic, but we will just focus on our text this morning. Okay, so let's look at each one. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, and you will see here Jesus was exposing a few misconceptions about prayer and and he prefaced uh, several statements with this phrase, and when you pray. So you'll see that three times there, when you pray. And the first time that he said that is this in verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Now, the word hypocrite, we discussed that last week, uh, came from the Greek term for a play actor, okay, Hippocrates, and it means pretender, okay. So we have a lot of pretenders. You know, they come to church, they pretend they're, they love God and worship God, but they know they're, they're not real about that. It's all external, it's all for show. And uh, Jesus said, Don't, you must not be like the hypocrites when they pray. For this is the reason. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues, and at the street corners, these are references to accepted cultural ways of praying during their time, during his, that time. And he said, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They love to show off their piety so that they can give somehow the impression that they are righteous people, that they are good people, that they're good folk, that they're good members of the synagogue. And uh, we see that when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Many, many years after this, several decades after this, several centuries actually, when Christianity, be, it was once a persecuted faith, and now when Constantine, the emperor of Rome, supposedly converted to Christianity, that's you know arguable. People say he, didn't, he wasn't really converted. Some people say he was converted to Christ. But he apparently converted to Christ and basically stopped all the persecution of Christians and, in effect, made Christianity the official religion of the empire. And now, Christianity was seen as a favored state. Now, for you to be able to to do your business in the empire without any prejudice, you've got to become a Christian. And so people became, quote-unquote, Christians or believers, you know, by name only. And they do lip service, but their hearts are not there. Can okay, many people adhere to forms, religious forms? They do it, but their hearts are not there. Okay, have you ever talked to a person who, who's talking to you, but you know that person's heart is not there with you? They're not really interested. You know, you're, you're trying to strike a conversation with someone that you're kind of, you kind of want to be friends with. You know, and he goes, "Yeah, yeah, whatever." <laughs> have you experienced that? How I many if you've done that to somebody, you don't, I don't like this guy, whatever, whatever. Yeah, okay, good for you, okay. You just dismiss the guy. That means your heart's not there. Many people are like that. They show piety externally, but internally, it's a different story. And Jesus said, don't be like them, and their motive is for them to be seen by others. It's all for show. It's all for show. Some people do this deliberately. And some people even deceive themselves. They're so good at it that they even deceive themselves into thinking that they are believers. When in fact, they're not. Jesus said, don't be like them. When they pray, don't be like the hypocrites. And so it's inferred here that this is the type of prayer that God does not, is not obliged to answer. And he says here, truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. So they pray in the street corners for people to be seen. And people go, look at that, how... How wonderful of a man. You marry someone like that man, okay? Okay, you marry someone like that man. Very, very religious. Mm-hmm. Very, very pious. You know, everywhere he goes, he goes, God bless you, brother. God bless your sister. You know, so very religious. Marry someone like that, okay? And then they go, very nice, very good. And they're, these people are applauded by the world. And Jesus said, See, let them get their applause from men. They've received their reward, and that's it. That's it. The applause of men. You know, the applause of men is fleeting. It's fleeting. It's not permanent. You remember the story of Jesus when He came in? He was being praised by the people, right? And a few days later, the same crowd was saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. They were the same people who were saying, crucify Him. See, the crowds are fickle. So don't settle for the applause of the world, because those things change. So this is the prayer, to, oh, the prayer of hypocrites, basically, are not effective. God doesn't listen to them. He hears the prayers, but he is not obliged to answer those prayers. Secondly, he says here, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. This is Jesus' response. He was teaching, remember, he was teaching his disciples. Okay, disciples, when you pray, this is how it is in the kingdom. In, in the kingdom, when you follow me, when you're a disciple, when you're my disciple, Here's how not to pray. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be a pretender. Don't do it for show. But instead, do it the opposite. Do the opposite. Go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. In other words, don't let anybody see you praying. Now, as Jesus said, you're not supposed to pray in public. That's not what he was saying here. He was going against one of the most established, pious acts in their culture, which is praying in public for people to see. And the difference there is the motive. That's the game changer there. The motive there is for people to see them, that they're righteous. But Jesus said, you know what? It doesn't matter what the world thinks. What matters is what God, your God thinks, what your Father thinks. Go into your room. Even if nobody sees you, your Father sees you. And that's, that's what matters. Pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the same principle we looked at last week. When you give, Jesus said figuratively, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. In other words, give in secret. Don't announce that you're giving. I gave 20 bucks to this cause. Praise me. Okay? Praise me. (laughs) No, You see, when you give, let it be in secret. Because if you give in secret, then the Father who sees what you're doing in secret will reward you. Okay? And here the motive is to speak, basically, speak sincerely with God. That's the motive. It's not put on a show, but it's really to to really commune with God. Verse 7. Verse 7 speaks of the prayer of unbelievers or the Gentiles. When you say Gentiles, it also refers to uh, them as unbelievers. And some some people even think of Gentiles as pagans, basically. So the word Gentile. Pagan and unbeliever are interchanged. And verse 7 says that when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. You see here, the first one, the hypocrites, their prayer is not heard by God because of wrong motives. Right? Right? The wrong motivation, the wrong reason why. Here, it's because of a wrong foundation, wrong thinking, basically. The wrong thinking. They think that by putting many words in your prayers, God will hear. Okay? I remember when I was new in the faith, very, very new. So my family have already kind of like accepted the fact that I had become a Christian. Okay, so during family meals, they they asked me to pray. So I pray. Lord, thank you for this blessing. Thank you for this bounty. Thank you that you care for us, that you provided this food for us to give us nourishment and also for, for, uh, for us to have a reason to be together and to celebrate. Lord, I prayed like that. I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't pray the regular prayer. I even forgot the prayer I memorized. Bless this food and these gifts. I forgot which we're about to receive through, from thy bounty through Christ. See, that's a memorized prayer. They thought that was how I was going to pray, so I prayed. And I remember there was a time we were praying. A friend of mine prayed for said grace, and he prayed. We were all hungry, and he prayed, like, for the longest time. We were like, and some of us were like, nobody's looking. He prayed so long after he said amen, one of our friends said, Brother, I think uh, you didn't do your quiet time today. (laughs) You just did your quiet time right there you felt so guilty you prayed so long you know so so i prayed that and then i prayed there was time i prayed long and then uh, my dad told me and then one time he asked me to pray for the food and so i prayed, for, prayed a very very short prayer because you know everybody was hungry so and then he told me as we were eating you know what it's a good it's a good thing you pray short you pray shorter than your brother cuz i have a half brother who also is a pastor okay of another church he's not part of victory but uh, he had become a Christian before I did, and he prayed for me to become a believer before I even met him. So, And then he, both of us became pastors. And then my dad said, you know, your brother, when he prays, oh, when he prays, he prays so long that, you know, all of us will have a tummy ache or something. But, you know, prayer is really such an essential part of our lives. And, and when we pray, it's not about, the number of words or the length of words. And sometimes people do repetitive words. You see here, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases. As we look at the different translations of the Bible about this verse, it says there, do not babble like the pagans. or And, and there, there is a sense also of this phrase being said not just about the number of words that you put in there in your prayer, but also just repeatedly saying those things. I remember... I kind of felt guilty, and so I grew up in the Philippines with my family's uh, religion. I was pretty nominal, and uh, I remember I committed something that I felt so guilty about, and uh, it was one of the rarest times I went to confessional. I think, I think I only went to confessional once or twice in my lifetime. I can't even remember because I, I don't like how it feels when, when, you know, when the minister would say, do this. and So I was told to, okay, for you to be forgiven, to be absolved of this, You've got to pray 10 of these, 10 of this memorized prayer, double of this memorized prayer, and pray the Our Father 10 times for you to be absolved and forgiven. That's your penance. And so I prayed. Our Father, what in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come. So it's memorized. So I even did it fast. I clocked it in in record time. 10 of those, you know, Surely. God will forgive me now. And that's what these people do. They think that by heaping words or by repeating themselves in their prayers, they assume God will hear them and God is obliged to answer their prayers. How many of us pray like this? Sometimes we don't even examine the way we pray. We pray like this. Father God, Lord God, thank you, Father God, Heavenly Father, Lord. You spent 30 seconds... Saying, Father God, Lord, Heavenly Father, without even saying anything, and God goes, okay, move on, come on, what, what is it that you're asking? Of course, he knows what we're going to ask. <laughs> Some of us are guilty. Father God, Lord, Heavenly Father. You talk to Eman. Eman, uh, Eman thank you, Eman, that uh, you, are Eman, you are You are, um, one of the most productive Eman, uh, victory group leaders here, Eman, in this, in this uh, church, Eman. That's annoying, isn't it? That's annoying. <laughs> you know, thank God for his patience. But, you know, he, we assume that by repeating and by doing, putting many words, God will hear. But Jesus said, don't be like them. Wrong thinking. Okay? He said in verse 8, do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Isn't God good? He knows what you need even before you ask him. But he wants you to come and ask him. Right? Sometimes... You know, I'm doing something, and I see my kids, either Josh or Luigi or Miguel, they would come, and they look at me. They have this look, like, you know, and then I look at them and go, and they go, Dad? Yeah, nothing. They actually want to ask something, and I know actually what they want to ask. So what is it? But I know what he's going to ask. You're like Miguel. When it's weekend, okay, when, when he's done with all his homework, he would always ask if he could borrow this iPad so that he could play with this game here. Okay, so, yeah, look at him. Yeah? You know. <laughs> so, all right, so here you go. God is infinitely more than, like, what we are. God knows what we, ask, what we need even before we ask him. But he wants us to ask him. Because, you know, I keep telling my sons, you know, I, I pretty much have an idea, because I, I, I can pretty much read you by now. But I still want you to ask me, because I like conversing with you, you know. So God wants to spend time with us, okay? But here, wrong thinking will prevent us from enjoying that. You see here, what is highlighted here by Jesus is religiosity. Re- this is what religion will do. It will make you think that by doing things for God... That you will merit his grace, his love, his mercy. And that, Lord, you know, I fasted one more day this year than last year. I fasted four days last year. I fasted the whole five days this, this year. And I passed said, dare to believe. So I'm believing you. Okay? I asked you this in my, in my prayer list. That this year I would marry. That I would meet Taylor Swift and eventually get married to her. You know, many times, us Christians, we take these words of Christ and we say whatever we want. Yay, Lord, give me ten million dollars by next week. Okay, I believe, I believe, I believe. I'm even going to fast this whole week for that. Ten million dollars, so that I can look good. I can buy my Maserati. I can buy my my dream house, and I can buy my my family whatever they want. We can enjoy, and it's going to be a great testimony of your grace in your provision, Lord. Well, whose idea was it? Was it God's or yours? And many times we pray to God with our own ideas, with our own selfish desires, thinking that even if it's selfish, God will be obliged to give us those things. See, if that's how we think, then we misunderstand what the nature of prayer is all about. God is not a genie. He's not your genie. So, we see here the prayer of the hypocrites and the prayer of unbelievers, or the prayer of pagans. Or the prayer, most pagans are religious actually, right? They have a form of religion. Not all religions lead to God. You'll hear that all over. All religions lead to God. Doesn't matter what religion you're in, as long as you're sincere, it'll all lead to one place. Then, who made that conclusion? For you to make that conclusion, that means you've seen the actual truth that everything leads to God, right? That claim is so audacious, it presupposes that the one who claimed it has seen that it is, in fact, the truth that everything leads to God. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. No one comes to the Father but by me, okay? So here, what are we? Are we religious? Are we hypocrites? Are we religious? Which one are we, okay? That's it's interesting what James has to say about these. He said this. So let me read James 4 from the Amplified Bible. It says there, you ask God for something. How many of you ask God for something? Okay. You ask God for something and do not receive it. How many of you have experienced that? You ask God for something and you don't receive it. Because you ask with wrong motives. Out of selfishness or with an unrighteous agenda. Oh, you see that guy? We've invited him to the church. He's here. Wow. Now he's coming. He's really interested. But you know what? You're interested? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm interested. Follow, okay, uh, one-to-one. Sure, sure. So when's your victory group again? Okay. Um, again, then you're being invited by another guy. Victory. Oh, you know, um, I'm okay. I'm going with this victory group right here. And then in the victory group, you go, okay, let's pray. During a time of prayer in the victory group, okay, group yourselves into two, and you go, <laughs> you'll be my prayer partner, okay? The motives are they're wrong. And God sees that. You ask, but you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, out of selfishness or with an unrighteous agenda. So that when you get what you want, and see sometimes these people who have selfish motives, they still get what they want. You may spend it on your hedonistic desires. It's about their pleasure more than the glory of God. Lord, I don't want to go through this ordeal again. It's so stressful. It's so... You know, I can't imagine the words. There are no words to describe how I feel. I don't like it, Lord. Save me from that. When God wants you to go through it, because that's the only way for you to discover who He is and His goodness, sustaining you, and you go, I don't like that, Lord. Lord, please deliver me from that. Whose will is it? Your will or His will? Many times we uphold our will above His will. Okay? Wrong motives. Another scripture, Mark 7, verses 5 through 8, says this. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? With dirty hands, basically. And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? As it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Basically saying, you would rather uphold the traditions of man than worship God in spirit and in truth. But you teach the traditions of man as if those are the commands of God. Right? And Jesus said here, you leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. This is all lip service. You see, the thing is, like I said last week, you can fool others and you can even fool yourself." but you can never fool God. God sees through your pretense. God sees through your hypocrisy, our hypocrisy. God sees through our religiosity. God sees through all those externals in our wrong motives, in our wrong thinking. And he knows what's in our hearts. So what is prayer? Prayer is basically to communicate with God, to commune with God. And the 1828 edition of the American Dictionary of the English Language, the very first one that Noah Webster wrote, okay? That was, in, that was published in 1828. He defined the word to commune with this, to converse, to talk together familiarly, to impart sentiments mutually in private or familiar discourse, okay? So basically, it speaks of investing, investing in a relationship. So whenever you communicate, there is relationship. Right, The more you communicate with your spouse, the greater the relationship, the deeper the relationship would be. The less you communicate with your, with your spouse or your friends, the less the relationship will be. How many of you had BFFs before, but because you moved to another place and you've kept in touch and over the years you've lost touch? Can you really still say that you're BFFs right now? He was my BFF once. He was, she was my BFF once. But I can't say that now. Are you here with me? But those you kept in contact with constantly, even though you're separated by oceans. I have friends, you know, some of my, some of my best friends are pastors back in the Philippines. And uh, if you know how we interact, it's funny, you know, because we've been friends before we became pastors. So now we tease each other on Facebook, you know, but not publicly. We do private message. And we tease each other. We, we enjoy one another, and then we also talked to one another. You know, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, Jonas Bernales, he is into biking. And Jonas, if you will happen to listen to this podcast, I'm making you famous right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. He's into biking, but he met an accident, and he was unconscious. And he woke up in the hospital, and he realized that a famous Philippine celebrity had saw him and brought him to the hospital. And it became, you know, known in the news, and I told him, you know what, I think what really happened is this. You were biking, you saw him, and you were so starstruck that you fainted. And he saw you, and you see, of course, I mean, we're just, we just trash talking, and you know, we're fooling around, but we, we're friends. You see, we, even if we're separated by, by an ocean, we keep in touch and we always check on one another, and that's why we are still friends. We are still, you know, our relationship is great. Not like before, we can see each other every day, but it's still, we're making that effort. And you see, when you value God, you will not find time for Him. You will make time. See, Jesus speaks a prayer that's to be done in secret. And the secret place, okay, the secret place is where we encounter God's presence, His love that stills all our fears. His mercy that assures us that we will not be rejected. His grace that floods our soul to the point that we are accepted and we know and we are going to enjoy this life even if we're not perfect. Are you here with me? Are you tracking? It is a place, the secret place of prayer is where we learn to depend on God and ask for His grace. It's the place where all our fears are still. It's a place where we discover that He is far greater than our circumstances. The secret place of prayer is the place where we would see all our troubles. When we come to the secret place, all our troubles and our challenges and adversities would be placed in their proper place and perspective. And that we realize God is indeed bigger than these things. The secret place... It's where we are transformed into his likeness. That's a place where we commune with him. We become what we behold. So it's not about saying the Our Father 25 times. Okay, I prayed today. Can you imagine doing that every day for for your entire life? That's why prayer is boring to a lot of people because they don't understand that it's all about relationship. And in the Lord's Prayer here, we don't have time to do this, We actually did a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, I think, two or three years ago. We unpacked each one here. But here, basically, Jesus said, this then is how you should pray. He didn't say, okay, guys, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the Gentiles. Okay, here's what you pray. Say this every time. Formula. You see, it would be easier if relationship is based on a formula, but it's not. Jesus didn't say, this is what you pray, okay? Pray this. Every time you're afraid, our Father, what in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus didn't say, this is what to pray. He said, this then is how you should pray. And then he gave a model prayer. And it's interesting that in this model prayer, he emphasized first that when you come to God in prayer, the first thing you need to be focused on is God and what he is doing. Put him first. And then, after you've exalted him and beheld him and you've seen his magnificence and his glory, and you see how great he is, now when you turn to your concerns, you realize, you know what, Lord, this is nothing. I mean, you can easily deal with this. Why am I so distracted by this thing when your magnificence is just so overwhelming? Everything is put in its proper place, even your challenges, when you put God first. Then in the Lord's prayer, you see, you put God first, and then you lift up your concerns to God. And this is consistent with what he taught in the succeeding verses. Matthew 6.33, he says this, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Many times, we seek first the things that we want added to our lives and forget about God. Well, you know what? Those things that you pursue... Your provision, your legacy, those things are not meant to be pursued. You are meant to pursue God. And those things are designed to pursue you as you pursue God. These things, as you put God, seek God first and his kingdom, all these things will be added to you. Whatever you need, God will make sure you have it as long as you put him first and you seek him. Many times we seek the blessing more than the one who gives us the blessing. And it's interesting how he started. He said this, this then is how you should pray, our father. He prefaced prayer in terms not out of duty, not out of obligation, but in the context of relationship. You see, father is a relational term, right? Larry, are you a father? Can Miguel call you daddy? My Miguel can call you daddy? Even though you're a father, right? You're a father, but you're not his father. He can call you Tito Larry or Sir, but he can never call you Daddy. He only has one Daddy. Let me ask you this. Who's your Daddy? <laughs> you see, God is our ultimate Father. He's a perfect Father. He is, and Jesus said, when you pray, call on your Father. If you are his disciple, and you are his child. Then you, he is your Father. And when you are you come to him as a child, can you imagine you are a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? People wouldn't have protocols to get to be before the presence of royalty, but the children of those royal people don't care about those protocols. They can just run up to their fathers, right? Because they're they're children, and see, it is a relational basis prayer is supposedly based on relationship. This is Jesus' emphasis. And James 5:16 as I wind down, James says this, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a hypocrite is useless and ineffective. The prayer of a religious person is useless and ineffective. But the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. And effective. And when we talk about righteous person, that phrase here, it speaks of to be righteous means to be in right standing. You're in right standing. You're righteous before me. That means you can stand righteously before me. Have, I have nothing against you. Jesus made us righteous before God through his sacrifice. And you see, the prayer of a man who is in right standing with God. The prayer of a man who is in right relationship with God through Christ, his prayers are powerful and effective. How many of you have experienced this? Before you met Christ, you kept on praying and nothing's happening. But now that you've given your life to Jesus, it seems like even the parking lot, the parking slot in the mall is like, God, please, I'm going to be late. And sometimes God, okay, next time you wake up early, okay, but I'm going to give you a parking slot. It seems like God answers your prayers, Right? And he does, because you're in right standing with him. He doesn't find any fault. So Jesus' emphasis on prayer is simply this, relationship with God. So I'd like to wind down now here, and um, I'd like to request the keyboard player just to come forward. We're going to be praying in a bit. The Nelson Bible, Illustrated Bible Dictionary says this about prayer. Prayer is communication with God, because God is personal. All people can offer prayers. Everyone can offer prayers. However, sinners who have not trusted Jesus Christ for their salvation remain alienated from God. So while unbelievers may pray and God can hear their prayers, they do not have the basis for a rewarding fellowship with God. See, that's the thing that we get to experience when we come to the secret place. We get to fellowship with God. We get to be with God. Prayer is not a burden, it's not a duty, it's a privilege. We get to do this. Lord, thank you. Lord, when I come, you accept me just as I am. I don't have to perform before being accepted. I can come just as I am, and you accept me, and I'm in your courts, and I enjoy this benefit, this privilege of being with you, and I can, I can hear your will. I can hear you speak to me, and I can speak with you without having to be afraid of you striking me down. Lord, I have confidence to come into your presence. Lord, what a privilege. What an honor. What a a benefit. It is a high privilege. We don't have to pray. We get to pray. Let me say this. If Jesus gave his life for you to save you, and then you just mistreat him, you, you are treating his precious gift and the privilege he has given you with contempt. You're treating it with contempt. He has saved you, and all you can do is, oh, Jesus, I'll just go my own way. I'll find my own way. I'll discover my way, and eventually, I'll find, if I find you, then so be it. But right now, let me do what I want. Let me discover what I want in this life. That's a dangerous, dangerous thought. Ian e. Bounds, in his book, The Weapon of Prayer, said this. The central significance of prayer is not in the things that happen as results. It's not in the answered prayers, Okay. But the significance is in the deepening intimacy and unhurried communion with God that you experience at his central throne of control in order to discover a sense of a need from God in order to call on his help to meet that need. It's not about just coming up with a list. Okay, Jesus, here you go. My prayer time today, here's my list, my prayer list. I'm making a list, checking it twice. I haven't been naughty, but I've been nice see, it's more than the list. If you really understand what prayer is, you'll say, God, I have all these needs. For example, I have all these needs, Lord, It's in my list, but as I'm in your presence right now, those things, they're not going to matter as long as I see who you are. And you're going to take care of me. I'm not focusing on my needs. I'm focusing on you. I'm focusing on our relationship. And you see, all of us, are flawed in this. How many of you struggle in prayer? Be honest. How many of you struggle in the place of prayer? I do. You know why? It's because of all the demands that are upon you. Those are actually distractions designed to get you out of the secret place. Designed to get you out of that, developing in that intimate relationship with God. Designed for you not to see His goodness, but to be frazzled By the pressure of the world. And you go, Lord, you understand I don't have time. You see, if you really value God, you don't find time for him. You will make time. And you will relate, commune with him. Not with religious, repetitious prayer or presumptive prayers. But you will come to him wanting your relationship to grow deeper. And in the process, if you get to ask what you need, that's okay. That's a bonus. He meets all our needs anyway. He knows our needs before we ask Him. But His emphasis is the relationship. We have a great privilege that has been given to us. Amen? Let's all stand right now. And you see, this privilege is given to us, made possible by Jesus. Apart from Christ, there will be no fellowship with God because our sins will keep us away from Him. John chapter 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And jumping to verse 11, it says there, And He, the Word, came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But here's a promise to those who do receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, I want you to see that. He gave the right to become children of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but born of God. Born of God. Jesus calls this being born again. And that is the chance. That puts you in a place where you can enjoy a relationship with God. A restored relationship where you know you're forgiven. You're cleansed. You're justified. You're redeemed. You're accepted just as you are. And you know what? You don't have to perform before God to be accepted. He accepts you. He loves you. And it's all on the basis of what Jesus did on the cross. His sacrifice was so acceptable to God that those who believed in Him that acceptance came upon them. And not only were we forgiven of our sins, but we have been given more than we deserve. We have been given the right to become children of God. He is our Father. He is a good Father. I'd like to leave you with this. A lifestyle of prayer is the fruit of right relationship with God in Christ. You see... A life of prayer will just be the evidence of that dynamic relationship we have with Jesus. The non-existence of prayer life tells you one thing. There is no dynamic relationship. Jesus is reaching out his hand to you and you're looking to something else for your fulfillment. That's all bow our heads right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us so much and you desire for us to experience you, to know you, Lord, to experience your work as we come before you in the secret place. Lord, I pray that we would, Lord, that you would captivate our hearts. Lord, that we would yearn for more of you and not pray. Lord, many times we don't know what to pray for, Lord. But Lord, teach us to be real. Teach us to speak to you in a, not in a religious way, but in a real, respectful and worshipful way. But thank you that we can come. That you don't hold, if we are believers, you do not hold our sins against us. For you've saved us and you've given us the right to become your children. And we can call you Father. And we know that we are accepted in your presence. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us. We repent of prayerlessness. We repent of not seeking you. We repent of allowing the distractions of this world lead us away from a dynamic relationship that we can grow in. Lord, I pray as we come to you today, Lord, I pray that all these voices and all these demands in our lives, Lord, would be stilled. Lord, that today we would experience what the scripture says. Be still and know that you are God. Lord, right now we just come before you and we lay aside and we lay down all our cares, our worries. Lord, your word says to even cast our cares upon you. Lord, we cast our cares. We cast our anxieties. We cast our worries even now. These things have have, uh, distracted us for far too long. And we've allowed the world to lure us away from you. And Lord, we repent. If that's you right now, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. And if that's you saying, Pastor, I want to repent. I want to repent right now. I can pray for you, but you have to take responsibility over your your own actions. And repent right now. And say, Lord Jesus, I repent of prayerlessness. I repent of not seeking you. Lord, it's not about how good of a prayer I make. Lord, I repent of discarding the grace for me to pray. Lord, the grace is always there, but many times I'm distracted. Lord, I repent of that. Lord, I repent of fixing my eyes on the, thing, on, on the, the cares of this world, or even my own desires. I repent of pursuing material things in this world and not pursuing you. Lord, the grace is there for us to commune with you. But many times we neglected. Lord, I repent of that attitude. Those of us who are who need to repent of that, Lord, we repent of that attitude of not seeking you. Lord, when we, when we don't seek you in prayer, we are telling ourselves that we don't need you in our day. Lord, we repent of that rebellion and that independent spirit and we come before you. And we thank you that As we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us. Today, by faith, we receive your cleansing and your forgiveness. And we ask, Lord God, that you would open our eyes to see the grace and the open door that's always before us and you inviting us to come in to the secret place with you. Lord, I pray for your grace to flood our hearts. I pray for a revival. Lord, would you revive us? Would you revive us today, Lord? Revive, us, our, revive our hearts, Lord God, with passion for you. And we lay aside all our cares and our worries, all our anxieties, all our desires. And we put you in the center of our focus. Jesus, take your place once again. And Lord, lead me, lead us out of this pit so that we may enjoy. Lord, fellowship with you and an intimate relationship with you lord develop a strong prayer life lord i pray that you would grant us the grace to rearrange our schedule and our priorities so that lord we would not make time for you we would not find time for you we would make time for you we want to put you first lord and we want to honor you we value so much lord that we want to reorganize our life and our priorities so that you will be first in our lives. Thank you for the grace for us to come and to pray. Lord, what a privilege it is. It is a privilege that we have that we don't want to waste. Lord, thank you for calling us to this high privilege that we get to be with you. Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness and your cleansing, and we thank you for reviving us, reviving us once again. This we pray in Jesus.